So tonight, <clears throat> uh, I'd like to talk about um, this word body. And um, for some reason, I was thinking of this thing today about uh, how quiet it is up here. And uh, just walking around, I was kind of going to my room and trying to, uh, I was actually writing my little poem today to read to you and uh, kind of going back and forth. and. Uh, uh, I thought how quiet it was here and uh, how busy it is just out there. And I, I kind of remembered this line from Lily Tomlin about um, even if you win the rat race, you're still a rat. And somehow <laughs> I had this kind of piece about where we were and how uh, really simple it is here and how we're really directed just uh, towards one uh, kind of aspect of um, what the human condition. So I wrote a poem today for you. Uh, and I, I called it The Split. Uh, and um, it's actually called The Split, Nama Rupa, which uh, in Pali means uh, the split mind-body. So there are actually three pieces I want to kind of, uh, kind of weave together here. One is uh, this piece that about body. It's about my history. It's about your history. Uh, and this is about a cultural history. And it's called disassociation. Uh, and then uh, looking at this practice uh, as really a practice of uh, embodiment, uh, really being in body here. And then the third piece I want to talk about is out of that embodiment comes uh, a quite uh, special state, uh, which is called trust. Uh, so those are the three kind of pieces I want to uh, kind of uh, play with this evening. So I'll read to you first what I wrote. And usually it's kind of easy for me to write, but today for some reason it was difficult. I was kind of in and out of my room. Um, uh, maybe it had to do something with disassociation, I'm not sure yet. Um, skin, bone, muscle, blood. You who in your youth I betrayed, abandoning you for my stories, ideas, dreams. Leaving you in some dumpster in the Haight-Ashbury, hoping no one would notice. But you, like a sly fox, shadowed me to India. Barefooted, hair matted and greasy, bowels bubbling and gurgling, waiting again and again to be noticed. Finally sitting down, you right next to me, shyly making us one. First you scolded me, tearing at my knees, crushing my back, bringing me down so my face was on your floor. But today we have made friends, Nama and Rupa. We walk fearlessly towards the precipice.
So I wanted to start off because it's really this part about disassociation. And I know for myself, uh, what uh, my journey, your journey, uh, our journey was uh, a story of one where um, culturally at some point um, there was this split. And I have a kind of story I, I kind of, uh, I guess I've told many times, and over half of you in the room have heard it, but it, for myself, it still is an archetypal. Uh, we all have our archetypal images. It may have been you uh, crawling uh, under your bed or hiding in your bed or uh, in your closet uh, somewhere. Uh, you found a place. Uh, to go when the uh, when you were overwhelmed and the pain of uh, of maybe not being uh, connected or held or noticed uh, was there for you. You found that place to go. So I have a little story of that's. Um, that's archetypal for me and still holds a lot of um, what um, I, I guess I still hold some fear about it, uh, how that how far you can get and it's interesting because I have a I have a 15 year old that a girl that lives at home and sort of now has kind of rasta hair and you know I know she's out there kind of smoking pot and hanging out and uh, it's really kind of scary for me uh, but then I have to reflect back on who I was and uh, what I was. Uh, so anyway, I, I grew up in Europe and coming to the States in the 60s, um, I ended up in, uh, what, 66 in the Haight-Ashbury and uh, went to one of those big human beings with the Grateful Dead and the uh, Jefferson Airplane. Uh, and um, I'd sort of, you know, flown Translove Airways from Paris to the U.S., um, expecting some kind of um, what a miracle of love. And um, anyway, I ended up in the park, and I took uh, some psychedelics at that time um, that were given to me by the Grateful Dead, <laughs> and. Um, I, all these people were getting into this car, and um, there was no room in the car, so I was put in the trunk. And the lady who put me in uh, didn't get in the car. And so I was left in this trunk, and then they drove back into the Haight-Ashbury, and, and uh, everybody got out and left. And I, would, I was laying there, and I would go out. And going out, I realized I had spent since a child. Uh, I had grown up and sort of I had been sent to Swiss boarding schools when I was five years old, uh, and uh, and there was a lot of pain there. And uh, I remember, you know, sort of when I was little, uh, where in my room uh, the glass of water would freeze in my bedroom, you know, and with the other kids and stuff. And it was it was very strict and very hard. And um, so I had learned how to uh, tell myself stories 
uh, and, a, and uh, creating a dream, a fantasy of what this was all about in some way. But to do that, I had abandoned uh, a part of myself. And so, when I was locked in this trunk, uh, it, was, it was very apparent to me that where I didn't want to be was in that trunk. And what that was to me was here, here in this body and uh, connected to uh, this time and place of life. And so I could see that the life of my fantasy world uh, was much more real to me. Um, to finish story, anyway, sometime in uh, the wee hours in the morning, uh, someone came by and I had the good smarts to knock on the, and it was an old car, knock on the door and they came and let me out. You know, I had one of those push button uh, uh, trunks, and I got out. But actually, for the next three months, I would not sleep in a house. I slept out in Golden Gate Park uh, because I didn't want to be inside, because I feared confinement in some way. Um, and I think you all have stories. That's just one piece of where we. Um, it really is. We abandon uh, our experience of both because of the unpleasant. Uh, not knowing it then, I also had abandoned the pleasant uh, in my physical experience. funny because at that time I did visit Zen Center and uh, in the in the late 60s and, and um, Blue Mountain Meditation Center and I, I kind of got into yoga somewhat um, and went to India traveled overland in the late 60s um, um, and arriving there I still was creating that fantasy uh, the fantasy was now, uh, which had a lot to do with uh, kind of a Western conceptual thing of spirituality, was a split between spirit and body. That somehow if I could go beyond the body itself, then I could be free. So I got to that point. I actually, uh, I was in India several years before I started sitting vipassana, and I was involved with the kind of Tibetans in the in the um, in the hill stations of Nepal and northern uh, India. <clears throat> and I guess I at that point I'd gone native, so I was sort of a, a barefooted sadhu with matted hair and kind of greasy and broke and. <laughs> Um, but there was part of me that really believed that somehow this enlightenment, this idea that something was out there that I could leave behind, that I had burned my bridges uh, and that I could 
this disassociation could be uh, ultimate in some way. I remember uh, in Nepal, I studied for a year with uh, Lama Tupdanyeshi, and I was going up to the mountains uh, for several months to walk and going up to near Everest and stuff to a, a, a small uh, monastery up there. And I remember him saying to me, he, I said, well, what should I do? I had all these mantras and all these things to do. And he said, well, just um, keep your attention in your feet. That'd be good enough. You know? And I remember the first day going out and walking out of, this was out of the valley from this uh, bus, uh, kind of where this bus let me off. And I ended up in tears because um, it was a lot more than I thought. And I was carrying a large pack. And I remembered this practice of just keeping my attention in my feet. And I actually did that for several months. And it, uh, be, I began to slowly start getting uh, maybe a little bit of what it's like uh, to not uh, just be lost, but just simply be here. When I came to this practice, It was knees and back, and uh, uh, this practice of having to own what it feels like to be here. And at first, uh, I just kept running uh, the kind of thousand stories uh, that had kept me uh, safe and alive and in that way. And then slowly and slowly I saw that uh, it's so simple, this practice. It is simply pointing at one thing. Uh, that when the mind uh, is it directly in contact with what is happening in the present, uh, in the sense of the seeing or the smelling or the tasting or the hearing or the physical sensations. Uh, it's amazing, even thought itself, uh, when there's a, uh, a really, when it makes contact and you know it, there is an actual physical uh, contraction that happens. I mean, uh, my, all these bubbles, I mean, thoughts are just it's kind of this bubble machine that keeps spewing stuff up. But when you directly make contact, uh, either uh, liking it or disliking it, there is a physical uh, contact connected contraction that happens. Uh, and we can be there for that. Uh, and that's all this is asking.
This is from the Satipatthana Sutta. In this way, they dwell observing body in body, internally or externally, or both internally and externally. They dwell observing the phenomena of the arising in the body. They dwell observing the phenomena of passing away in the body. Now the awareness presents itself to them. This is body. This awareness develops to such an extent that only understanding and observation remain, and they dwell detached without clinging to anything in the world. So my idea was to go out of it. And then to this practice, I realized uh, that you had to go through it. Uh, It's not out there. It's actually through here. Uh, That uh, the Buddha's uh, liberation was experienced. And I think it's really, in some ways, uh, difficult culturally because um, I was reading some uh, some material that uh, uh, a friend of mine, John Wellwood, put together uh, about uh, the difference between um, Asian uh, culture and Western culture. And I thought I'd just I'd just read a, a few little pieces because it it is there is a huge difference, and it's a piece that. Um, I, I think in Asia, uh, it probably would not be necessary to talk about the body. It would be something that was uh, known, and there would be uh, already an understanding somewhat of that. Uh, but here, it is a big piece uh, in our split between uh, sort of uh, mind-body. Traditionally, Asian culture did not engender the pronounced split between mind-body that we in the West know so well. In giving the priority to the welfare of the collective, Asian society also did not foster the division between self and other, individual and society, that is uh, endemic to the Western mind. There was neither a generation gap nor the pervasive social alienation that has become a hallmark of modern life. Thus, in many ways, it seems that the villages and extended families of the traditional of traditional India or Tibet built sturdier ego structures, not so, not so debilitated by the inner divisions between mind, body, individual society, parent, child, weak ego, harsh, punishing superego characteristics of the modern self. So I think that's the complex piece of it. Um, But as far as practice goes, uh, one of my uh, teachers, Goenka, used to say, it's very simple. Just keep your mind in your body. 
And fundamentally, that's what we're doing here. We come and we sit, uh, and uh, we allow ourselves uh, to feel uh, the pleasant and unpleasant. Uh, uh, Yes, we go off uh, into our fantasies and our stories and our ideas and our judgments about this or that. But what is the practice here? What actually is the practice? It's actually, in a way, a rote exercise of bringing the attention back into the present. And we use the breath as a place uh, to return to, uh, as kind of the anchor in the sea of uh, change and experience. And then slowly we open our attention up uh, to the range of our full physical experience as we know it. And in that, there are the, actually uh, these uh, very sometimes subtle contractions, which are actually uh, mind-based. Uh, so it is this balancing of uh, mind and body, uh, this place of equanimity, uh, that is uh, our stance uh, in the midst of Uh, all this coming and going. So I'd like to read to you, uh, I want to read again this um, poem. Skin, bone, muscle, blood. You who in your youth I betrayed, abandoning you for my stories, ideas, dreams, leaving you in some dumpster in the Haight-Ashbury, hoping no one could notice. But you, like a sly fox, shadowed me to India, barefooted, hair matted and greasy, bowels bubbling and gurgling, waiting again and again to be noticed. Finally sitting down, You right next to me, shyly, making us one. First you scolded me, tearing at my knees, crushing my back, bringing me down so my face was on your floor. But today we have made friends, Nama Rupa. We walk fearlessly, toward the precipice. So I come to this place of uh, embodiment uh, is Uh, this practice uh, of trust, ultimately. When the mind and the body uh, relax, uh, one is moving at the speed of light, and the one 
is a chemical hormonal process which is very repetitive. And uh, the practice, uh, the discipline, is to bring those together. And from that, uh, what, um, relaxing, this uh, ability to let it be, then I don't know what other word to use, but uh, this trust begins to um, be noticed. It's not something that was ever not there. Uh, And it's simply uh, that maybe uh, you're enough in the present. You're enough just the way you are in the present. I have this description I like um, that I have been working with this last year or so uh, that uh, I hope is, uh, it seems simple to me. And it's a, just this view of a pendulum that swings back and forth. And on one side of this pendulum is uh, a plus. And we'll call that pleasant sensations. And on the other side is a big minus. And we'll call that unpleasant. Um, And what we have gotten uh, from our physical experience is that when it goes up to the pleasant and this pendulum swings up there, we immediately um, grasp to kind of hold that pendulum there. Um, And that's simply... Uh, our nature to hold it there. And it actually has a big charge on it. Uh, It's uh, kind of what we get out of pleasant sensations. And then the pendulum turns around and swings the other way, and the unpleasant. And we're trying uh, to actually uh, stop it, hold it from uh, going into that charge. Uh, And that's what we're doing all the time. And it's interesting that what the Buddha was pointing to in this place uh, I just try to name as trust was a place in the center of our experience that is not dependent on whether there's pleasant sensations or unpleasant sensations. That there is a place in the center of that. The problem is that there's no charge there. You get a charge out of pleasant feelings. And you get a charge out of unpleasant ones. They actually move you, you know, uh, to either grasp or to push away. But there is a place in the center that is so subtle, and it is hard to see because it has no charge. And that is what we're doing here. We first of all need to fully allow our experience to notice the pleasant, And notice what we do. What is the conditioning that holds us uh, in this place of pleasantness? And the grasping that happens there. Uh, I think what's kind of unique about the pleasantness that 
uh, is interesting is um, one thing uh, that Anna talked about last night uh, is interesting. Pleasant sensations come up, they're there for a while, and they disappear, right? That's what they do. And let's say that you got 10 moments of pleasantness. What happens to the addiction? This uh, desire for keeping and holding those is you have about two or three of those moments. And then you go into wanting to keep it. And you actually rip yourself off of about seven more pleasant moments. (laughs) Because you have been grasping in the wanting. You know, I I was in a retreat once where um, I had these two things going on that were really powerful. One was I was in my early 30s, and I had a lot of sexual desire on one side. And the other one, I had somebody I I was pretty pissed off about. And I carried this into this retreat, these two kind of pieces. And I began to notice that in the sexual wanting, that there was a burning that was there. And it would become very strong. And then it would switch over, and next thing I know, in my fantasy world, I was, this person would come up that I had this story with, and I would get angry. And what was interesting is I would have the same, the same burning in the same place in my body. And I began to recognize that that wanting is suffering. That is the pain, uh, which is outside of what is actually happening in the present. This is the part that we kind of sub-create here. You know, uh, Jack Cornfield talks about this kind of retreat. I mean, everybody looks so quiet, and and, uh, uh, you look so peaceful in here. But if we could take and put all your little stories, you know, have a little mental video cameras and put up all the stories that are going on in everybody's uh, kind of uh, head bodies around here. Uh, This would be one huge garbage dump. (laughs) It would be just this huge dumping ground. Uh, But it's not that this dumping ground is either good or bad, because that's not what it's about. It's about seeing into our conditioning of how we grasp for these pleasant things and we get off on the plus and we keep trying to create the plus and manipulate and control and uh, uh, every means possible to keep it that way. And on the other, when it's negative, when it's unpleasant, uh, all the things that you do to control and move past that. Uh, And we get stuck in this field. And uh, what we're doing here, someplace in the center of that, is this place uh, which the Buddha named very simply. It has no charge. It's just peace. And I wish for you, this is a place of, uh, for me, it's an ability to trust the present just the way it is. And also knowing that I'm enough, however. Uh, and sometimes, you know, I'm sick and, and it's not comfortable. It's unpleasant. But it's knowing that you're enough in the present. It's okay. Uh, This, too, uh, will change. Uh, And the same when the pleasant arrives, uh, 
you know, uh, you don't need to cut it off. It's just simply, it is there for a short time. And you can be there for it. So I leave you with this piece of uh, in the middle of your practice somewhere um, when there's the stirring up, uh, knowing it's just the stirring up, and when there's a moment uh, kind of in between when this pendulum is swinging back and forth, uh, soften uh, and notice that what we're trying in some way, to notice our conditioning, but also to allow ourselves uh, to notice that uh, peace exists actually in any moment. Uh, It is available. It has no charge, and we have to kind of turn and train ourselves uh, to notice and be available for it. Uh, And it is not dependent on whether it's a plus charge or a minus charge. That is the piece of the Buddha. So I'd like to uh, kind of uh, finish here uh, with, I'd like to read you a poem. This has been this month's uh, favorite piece besides my own writing. Um, that's, uh, this is actually from Orhai Mountain Dreamer, uh, an Indian elder. It's called The Invitation. It doesn't interest me what you do for a living. I want to know what you ache for, and if you dare to dream of meeting your heart's longing. It doesn't interest me how old you are. I want to know if you will risk looking like a fool for love, for your dreams, for the adventure of being alive. It doesn't interest me what planets are squaring your moon. I want to know if you have touched the center of your own sorrow. If you have been opened by life's betrayals, or have become shriveled and closed from the fear of further pain. I want to know if you can sit with pain, mine or your own, without moving to hide it or fade it or fix it. I want to know if you can be with joy, mine or your own, if you can dance with wildness and let ecstasy fill you to the tips of your fingers and toes without cautioning us to be careful, be realistic, to remember the limitations of being human. It doesn't interest me if the story you're telling me is true. I want to know if you can disappoint another, to be true to yourself if you can bear the accusation of betrayal and not betray your own soul. I want to know if you can be faithful and therefore trustworthy. I want to know if you can see beauty even, even when it is not pretty every day. And if you can source your life from God's presence.
I want to know if you can live with failure, yours and mine, and still stand on the edge of the lake and shout to the silver of the full moon, yes, it doesn't interest me to know where you live or how much money you have. I want to know if you can get up after the night of grief and despair, weary and bruised to the bone, and do what needs to be done for the children. It doesn't interest me who you are, how you came to be here. I want to know if you will stand in the center of the fire with me and not shrink back. It doesn't interest me where or what or with whom you have studied. I want to know what sustains you from the inside when all else falls away. I want to know if you can be alone with yourself and if you truly like the company you keep in the empty moments. So let's just sit for a minute. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.